This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello and welcome back to Open Mind Podcast with me, Frankie Bridge. I'm very excited today because I'm joined by Amanda Prowse and Josh Hartley, who is Amanda's son. Um, I met Amanda a few years ago when my husband Wayne was in the jungle. So I met Amanda in Australia. And I loved you straight away, Amanda. You were just so lovely, but I knew at the time you were going through a really hard time. And out of that came a book called The Boy Between, A Mother and Son's Journey from a World Gone Grey. You are a best-selling author, Amanda, but this book for you has been a completely different thing to write, hasn't it? Oh, it's, it's, you know, it's one of those books that I always say I'm the most proud of, but I wish I hadn't had to write it because I didn't really ever think that my child would have a mental illness. I didn't ever think when I had that little baby and I had these plans for him in my head about this wonderful life he was going to lead, Frankie. I never thought in a million years that what I would wish for him more than anything was that he'd just want to stay on the planet. I never thought Mm. that. And um, yeah, it's been really, really hard. But I do think it's one of those things that uh, is so common, isn't it? I mean, when I met you, I remember... You just said, you know what, you're not on your own. There's so many people living like this. And mm. uh, I really appreciated your friendship then and I appreciate it now. And I think when people do understand what it's like, they become the best kind of ear, don't they? Yeah. So at that time, Josh, you had not long before Amanda came to um, Australia, tried to take your own life, hadn't you? Um, so for people that don't know, that's what, this book is about isn't it yeah it's my journey into and sort of my recovery through my process with depression from when I was a late teenager really to early 20s um and what I found most amazing about this book is that you both kind of alternately take chapters to kind of explain the situation and you get to hear from both sides of the story, which I think is so massively important and why I so badly wanted you guys to come on my podcast. Because, look, people who suffer with mental illness, we can talk about it, we can say what it feels like and we can explain it as best we can. But I think people often forget the family and friends around those people that are suffering from the illness and how it affects them and how they should react to it and how they should deal with it, um, which is why I think this book is so important and why I just wanted my listeners to know about it. And I think and anybody out there, if you're a sufferer, if you know someone that is, this book would be perfect for you. I, as a parent, have found it quite hard to read. I haven't finished the whole book, so I'm still quite near the beginning. So you're talking a lot about when Josh was really small and that's kind of the stage that my boys are at now. And it really, not in not in a bad way, it really set off my anxieties of all the things that I think about my boys. So the conversation, I remember you had a conversation with Josh about what he wanted to be when he was older. 
And he said something like he wanted to be the man that cuts grass or something. That's right. Yeah, exactly. And I'd sort of sent Josh to a fancy pants school thinking, do you know what? He's very dyslexic. He's very, you know, forgive me, Josh, a little bit clingy. I thought what this boy needs is to go to a fab school where he's going to be independent and, you know, play lots of sport and find his own way. And... He said to me one day, we were driving to school, and I said, what do you want to do when you leave school, Joshy? You can do anything. You can be a doctor, you can be a musician, you can be, you know, anything. And he said, I just, I'd really like to cut the grass on the downs, mum. And I said, oh, but Josh, you know, I'm thinking, there's me paying all this money to give him this amazing opportunity that I didn't have. What do you mean you want to cut the grass on the downs? He said, well, I think they look really happy. And that taught me you know, that taught me something that I didn't really understand what it did taught me until years later when I thought, my gosh, Mm. he understood from a very young age that it's not about, it's not about acquiring status or a job or a certificate or or, um, a, a qualification. It is purely about finding happiness every day because that's what success looks like. It's about not wanting to leave the planet. It's about not minding waking up every morning. And, Mm. uh, And as a mum, that was really hard. I had to sort of, you know, when you're pregnant, you have all these ideas and things that you think your children might do. They're going to be the most beautiful. They're going to be the most fantastic, the funniest, the cleverest. Of course you do. And then my reality was I had to look at this little boy and think, right, actually what I need to do is just make him feel as safe as possible. Um, Mm. And I made massive mistakes, Frankie, massive mistakes. I loved that when I read that because I thought how, you know, it just shows how purely children think. And how straightforward they think. Whereas, you know, as we've got older, like you say, we have all these ideas and we think we have our kids' best interests at heart. But I think sometimes we look past that and you've said now, all you want is for Josh to be happy. And I always think that with my kids is I think, you know, they go to a fancy pants school and me and Wayne didn't. And, you know, there's that pressure of, oh, are they going to be a footballer? Are they going to be a singer? And we're like, I don't know. I don't really care. And Although I want them to be well, I do just ultimately want them to be happy. But I think that comes from someone who does suffer with depression and anxiety. So I'm so aware of that all the time. But sometimes I think that works against me because I'm always, that's all I think about. Josh, do you remember feeling like that when you were younger? Is, is, uh, do you remember feeling anxious or thinking really deeply about things when you were young? Yeah, completely. I think my desire to bolt was always fairly strong. I remember feeling trapped, trapped in the back of a classroom most days. I used to hate going in. And I think I just felt, even from a young age, quite isolated and sort of disconnected from my peer group. And I think that only got worse in my teens. So that feeling of isolation is definitely the start of depression, in my opinion. Really? Do you feel like that came from being at school and you've said before that you're dyslexic do you feel like that's where a lot of that started for you or do you think you were just that way yeah I think so I think I do have a genetic predisposition to depression but also Mm -hmm. I remember I must have been about eight years old and a teacher made me face a wall on my own table and everyone else in the class was on you know table of groups of like five and six they could talk and I was on just a table by myself and that did to me no favors to say the least I'm not surprised. That's horrendous. If someone did that to my kid, I'd be fuming. Is that, and is that because you couldn't do the work? Yeah, completely. I've always been able to do science, but apart from that, uh, struggle to write my own name. Yeah. And Amanda, I suppose for you, you just felt like you were doing the best for your son at the time. Thing is, I was, I remember that time very clearly and I was a single mum and just 
really working hard to keep all the plates spinning. And I had mm-hmm. absolute trust in the educators who were his teachers because I thought... You, you have to, though. These, You do. And it's really hard, isn't it? Because instinctively, something in the pit of my stomach makes me want to just grab Josh from school and keep him home every day. And at another part of me is thinking, you know, but that doesn't make him resilient. That doesn't teach him to join in. That doesn't teach him all these you know, all the things he needs to know to tick boxes on an exam sheet and get that grade. And so I persevered with it. But I think looking back, I should have definitely listened to that little voice of instinct a lot, lot more. I think as mums, we need to, and dads, uh, anyone that cares for children, we need to learn to sort of trust that a bit more because no one knows your child like you do. No. No one. But I think at some point you do as a parent, you feel like you have to hand some of that over to other people you know like you can't take it all on although we do try to and I I think it's not until I've become a parent that I've really thought about how my illness has affected my family and my parents and I remember saying to you when we were in Australia just saying this isn't your fault this isn't something you have done directly and not something that you could have necessarily have saved Josh from And that was actually quite a pivotal moment for me because I had spent the best part of the last couple of years before I met you thinking, what have I done? What did I do wrong? Um, And and literally the moment that you said, you know, this is nothing to do with you. This is nothing to do with you. This is Josh's journey, Josh's struggle. It was like, oh, okay. so I have to look at this in a different way. Instead of feeling guilty and actually adding more pressure to this person who's already struggling with their mental illness, I need to find ways, instead of trying to fix him, I need to support him. And it was a fundamental change in our relationship mm. when I realised that what I needed to do was provide an environment and a, and a haven and a safety net where Josh could just be. I didn't have to go into solution mode. You know, why don't you talk to someone? Why don't you go for a walk? Why don't you try this diet? Why don't you go for a run? All these things that he's looking at me thinking, Mum, I can't even lift my head off a pillow. Mm. And I was running headlong into solution. The idea was just to let him be. And that actually, I think, was the very beginning of the start of his recovery. The understanding that he didn't need to do anything. We just all had to understand what was living in our house. And you're right, depression has a tendril in every room, in every conversation. It's not isolated. You know, it, it's it's something that he, you carry with you as a sufferer. And when you walk into a room, it comes in through the door behind you. And that in itself is a huge pressure. Mm when you know you're going to affect the mood, the, the the understanding, the happiness levels even of everyone in that room, that is an enormous thing to have. I mean, the guilt must be absolutely huge, absolutely huge. And I think once we understood that, we started to treat Josh in a slightly different way. Yeah, I, that's one thing I always say to people. I'm always like, I don't, and it's taken away my husband a really long time to kind of understand is when I speak to him, I'm not asking him to fix me or to fix the situation. I just want him to listen and to understand and to be there. Um, and I think as humans, we do. We just want to fix something. We just want to fix someone. Um, and I remember when my one of my good friends read my book, she was crying and I was like, why are you crying? And she was like, because... I just want to fix it for you and I was like but you can't and I think even Josh I don't know if you agree with me as as the person who has depression we have to learn that also that we aren't necessarily going to be able to be fixed yeah completely and I think partly my journey with depression was learning to deal with that guilt because I was just acutely aware of how it was making Mandy and Simeon feel every day 
and that only just piled onto the pressure mm -hmm. and put more pressure to me to get better when I was already trying and was struggling. I think there's so many misconceptions about depression that it's, you know, just sadness when it's much worse than that. It's the emptiness, the complete void of sadness. I know you've written about it in the book, so if you feel comfortable to talk about it, the lead up to that moment when you felt like you was ready to take your own life, was that a sudden decision or was there like almost a plan to that? Was there a build up to that? Yeah, there was a build up over... I'd say roughly a month where things just, it's hard to describe because it doesn't happen overnight, but slowly it's like a piece of your very being gets chipped away day by day until there's just nothing left but this empty husk, um, not capable of feeling emotions. Sadness uh, would have been welcomed on, on many an occasion. When oh, it's, Amanda, uh, I'm sorry. I don't want to make you cry. No, I'm sorry. It's just, uh, no, please, it's, it's, it's lovely to hear Josh being able to express it and it's lovely being able to to hear Josh being able to talk so openly about it because at the time I would say what's wrong and he'd say nothing I'm fine I'm fine so this is a real marker of how far Josh has come that he can actually talk about it in these very honest terms I'm extremely proud actually okay good sorry Josh carry on no that's okay um it's hard to describe but the the pull of my bed felt like a black hole I just couldn't leave yeah it doesn't um it's hard to explain if you've never, if you're very fortunate, if you've never felt this way, um, you're lucky. And I, I wish you always don't know what it's like, but you just can't leave your bed. It's like a black hole just pulling you in. I couldn't do it the most like basic things. Only place that seems right, doesn't it? It's just, it's so odd. You just want to shut everything out and your bed just feels like the safest place. Yeah, completely. And there's so many people who have never suffered in this way who um, have opinions on it. And it's like, just go for a walk. I'd love to go for a walk, but I'm struggling to lift my head off the pillow right now. Or just talk about it when you just don't know, you just don't have the words to, to describe how no. you're feeling. I always say when you're in that deepest, darkest hole, nothing is really going to help. Like I, I always think just even breathing feels like an effort when you're in that state. Um, back when I had my breakdown, I had thoughts of not wanting to be here anymore and kind of that thought of everyone's life would be better if I wasn't here. And before I'd ever felt it, I always thought suicide was a really selfish thing to do. And actually for the person, and, and I don't, correct me if, if you don't agree, Josh, um, for you it feels like the ultimate selfless thing to do because you feel like you're doing everyone else a favour by not being here yeah completely and I think one of depression's sneakiest tricks is making you feel like you're the only one who suffered in this way when in reality there's unfortunately probably multiple people on your street suffering with depression it's so prevalent especially among university students it's hard to put into words but it's so it's so prevalent but it just makes you feel mm -hmm. completely alone and in that moment when you decided that you were going to take your own life you said that that was kind of I can't remember the right word, but it was almost like the calmest and that peace that you had felt in a while. Yeah, completely. It was just an end to a just miserable existence. Um, a full stop, if that makes sense. It's all my, I always say it's like it's trying to quiet your mind. Sometimes you think as well, as much as you think everyone else would be better off without me, I always think, well, it's the only way that I can stop these thoughts and this feeling and it's just tiring sometimes, the thought of carrying on and feeling how you are 
on a day-to-day basis. But that must be really hard for you to hear, Amanda, as a mum. It is, especially as when Josh uh, tried to take his life. I would have said he had the whole world at his feet. He was young and beautiful and kind and smart and just the loveliest person. And I would say, look at you, you have so much to live for. And the fact that he couldn't see it and still does struggle to see it on a lot of days, I think is one of the hardest things because my job as his mum is to give him value, is to make him feel like a valuable member of this planet, that he's doing a great job of being a brilliant human. And the fact that I sort of feel like I failed in that is just horrible. And I always hoped, as we've said before, that I could fix things, but it's not about that. And I'm incredibly proud that Josh has come out and said, you know what, that was my lowest point. And I now understand that living with depression is just that. It doesn't have to be the end of your life. You can live a happy life with depression. And I know that sounds like a a conflict, but it's absolutely true. There are good days. There are great moments. There are pockets of incredible joy that you have to dip into and hang on to for as long as you can. Because just because you have depression, it is not the end of your life. And it doesn't mean you will always have depression. It means it might be a black period in your life, a dark time that you're going through. It doesn't mean it's the it's how it is going to be forever. And many people come out the other side. Many people lead a good life with depression. And that's one thing that's so important to all these students going back to university, to people who feel like it might be the end of the road. It isn't. And every day you hang on is a valuable day that you can maybe just change your mindset a little or something will come along that will help you hang on. And every minute, every hour, every day, as Josh says in the book, is a win. And I think that's really important. I would say that what happens in a period of your life doesn't have to define what happens for the rest of your life. It can and often does get better. Just you've got to hang in there day in day. You know, if you're in a crisis point hour by hour, just hang in there. It might not feel like it, but every minute you're here is an achievement in its own way. How did you come out of that then, Josh? How did you get to this point? Did you, after trying to take your own life, did you ask for help? How did you get from A to B? I think a big turning point was when I saw a psychiatrist in Bristol and he said, "Um, you know, this isn't your fault, don't you? You've got a genetic predisposition to it. It's not your fault. You wouldn't blame yourself if you got cancer. So stop blaming yourself for having depression. And I never really thought of it like that. I, I didn't think of it as an illness. I thought in a weird way that I'd almost done something to deserve this. And it's it's hard to describe, but. I felt that I did something so big and so bad that I personally couldn't even see it. And depression was my punishment. And after speaking to the psychiatrist, he was saying, it's just not your fault. You're, you're ill. You need to stop blaming yourself for being ill. And that, mm-hmm. that massively helped. I think that is the big thing with it, though, is, is people don't understand the strength of, of our brains and the things that we tell ourselves. It's the guilt that we give ourselves, um, that we're constantly telling ourselves that we deserve it, um, punishing ourselves and, and feeling bad on behalf of everybody else of the things that you've done. And, and I think it is that thing is when you realise, and I always say a big, a big turnaround turning point for me was when I realised this is a medical issue and learning about why my brain is doing that and why I feel how I feel made me feel less like I was just crazy. I was going to say that I think one of the big turning points for for Josh and I as a mother and son came 
when I was totally out of ideas on how to help Josh. And he said, Mum, when I'm really low, just come into my room, open a window, bring me a cup of tea, maybe sit on the end of my bed, turn my pillow over. And I said, oh, what, like, like you're ill? And he said, Mum, I am ill. And until he'd said that to me, I, I thought it was a, a state he was living in. I thought it was a phase he was going through. I thought there had to be some underlying, you know, trauma, some one thing that had happened. You know, is there one thing? And he was saying, no, there isn't. And it would have been easier if he could say, oh, yeah, I feel this way because. But of course he couldn't because Josh didn't understand it. But as soon as as we accepted that it, and understood that it was because he was ill, I think that was exactly right. It's what you said, Frankie. It's a massive turning point because you, you can't blame yourself for being ill. It happens and it's random and it's rubbish. Um, and what you need is support. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Amanda, how did you learn to understand it? Did you learn to understand it through Josh or did you end up speaking to someone? I don't understand it. I honestly don't right. understand it. I think you can't unless you've really lived it. Because even though I, I, Josh is my heart, Josh owns my heart, and I will always do everything I can to support and help him in every way. But there are still days where I think, oh, just get out of bed because it's frustrating. And there are still days where I think, oh, I know, again, here we are. And I have to fight hard to not let those emotions come to the fore because I still don't understand it and I don't think I ever will. But what I have learned to do is have the most difficult conversations with Josh that bring us all a lot of peace. So I'm now no longer afraid of saying, are you going to kill yourself today, Josh? Are you in a danger zone? Should I be worried? Because depending on his answers, I then know, Frankie, what I have to do to get through the day and Mm -hmm. to help Josh best. I don't think I'll ever properly understand it. And as Josh says, I'm lucky if I don't. Yeah, I think, Josh, don't you feel like as well, though, you feel frustrated when you wake up and you have those days? Yeah, completely. It's, uh, as I've said, however bad it is for Mandy, it's 10 times worse for me. Mm -hmm. How do you now keep yourself up and keep yourself going? And what do you do on those days where you feel like you can't get out of bed? Well, sometimes it is okay to just give in to and go to bed. There's no, and there's no shame in that for me anymore. Sometimes I know just uh, sleep is the key. Just stay hydrated and sleep. Um, and days where it's not quite as bad as that, I know taking my dogs for a walk in the countryside, it's not. It's uh, almost frustrating to say because so many people do say go for a walk <laughs> when you have depression and when you're feeling that way, you just want to tell them to get stuffed. But it is, mm-hmm. it is, there is some truth to it. I love taking my dogs for a walk in the countryside, just fresh air. Um, little things like that. I think your nutrition, yeah. your nutrition and health has played a big part. Josh, your physical health, I would say, has been part of your recovery as well. Would you? Or... Yeah, that's true. I definitely do feel better when I'm, you know, eating well and exercising. That's true. Yeah, I think so much more has been done these days to kind of say how related our gut health and our mental health is, and I think they're still only really just learning about that. 
But I think it's it's one of those things. It's a bit like I know that going and doing a workout or going for a walk or something is going to make me feel so much better. But it's also one of the hardest things to do sometimes. And that, I think, is where, A, some of your frustration comes, comes from because you're like, I know what's going to help me, but I just don't do it. And B, also, you're like, I've been working hard at this. I've been doing the therapy I don't know. Do you take medication, Josh? Um, not anymore, but I, I used to. Not anymore. Yeah. So I still take medication and then I still have those days. And it is frustrating. And being part of a family is you know you're bringing down that mood and you know, and especially for you, I can see how much it obviously affects your mum. That must be hard for you to see also. Yeah, completely. There's a bit in the book where it's Christmas Day and I came down in my pyjamas at about midday. And there must be about 20 family members sat downstairs in my house and they're all just clambering over each other to say, you know, happy Christmas. How are you, Josh? And I just cried. I just couldn't deal with it. <laughs> it would have been it had been bad enough on any day to speak to them, you know, let alone on Christmas. There's so much expectation on you, you know, to put on a do smile. Do you find, yeah, do you find those days where you are expected to be at your happiest, some of the hardest? Because I definitely do. Yeah, completely. It's the just added pressure. I remember in the book, Josh, you said it was like everyone was speaking a different language and you couldn't join in because they were all speaking a language you didn't understand. And I thought that really kind of summed it up because you just stood there like you didn't know what was going on. And everyone was so like, oh, it's Christmas and here's Josh. And so they love you so much. So pleased to see you. And I just remember your face just thinking, we've really messed up here. This isn't what he needs. He actually needs to go to bed and stay there today and not come and, you know, pull a cracker and eat some eat some Christmas pud. It was totally, I felt that was one of the days I totally got things wrong. Yeah. Where do you now, like, since writing the book, did you find that process hard or do you feel like it helped you both in, in a way? Both completely. It was incredibly hard, especially to begin with. Um, some of the conversations we had to have weren't easy for anyone, let alone a mother and son. Uh, some quite, some quite uh, harsh truths came out, I think that's fair to say, in the writing process. And also we're very different people, so spending eight hours a day together writing uh, was tough. <laughs> None taken. Uh, but, it was, <laughs> but it was hugely uh, cathartic process. I think being able to reflect back and look back on a, that time in my life really helped you know, reconsolidate the memories, which were some of my darkest, obviously. And uh, you know, I, I never really believed that time time is the great healer. But looking mm -hmm. back on things, you know, from a slightly different perspective, you know, a year or two on, did massively help me personally. So, what made you guys then decide to write this book? It happened by accident, really. I sent Josh an email one day saying. I honestly, Joshy, don't know how to help you best. I am completely out of ideas. We've tried everything. I need you to help me. Let me in a bit. And he replied with an email saying, you just don't understand what this is like, mum. And I was like, well, help me. And he replied in a very honest email telling me how when I suggested things like, why don't you go abroad for a little week with your friends? Or why don't you go for a lovely walk? How awful it made him feel because it just confirmed that I actually had no understanding of what he was going through, which only made him feel more isolated. And I then replied saying, Josh, this is really hurtful, but valuable. And what else? And it was almost like we ripped off the Band-Aid and we started talking very openly and honestly on email. 
And before we knew it, we had this conversation and I don't think we ever thought we would publish it. I don't think we ever thought it would, you know, become a book. But um, one of our close friends who's, who's also um, our agent said, can I have a look at it? And she just sat there sobbing and she said, you know, I know so many people who are going through this either with their kids or their partners and they don't know what the answers are either. And I think this will be really valuable for people to know that they're not the only ones. Um, is that about, that's about how it happened, isn't it, Joshy? Is there anything you? Yeah, completely. Because a lot of your efforts to make me feel better only made me feel more alone. Like she just doesn't understand what's going on. And I think if your own mum doesn't understand, it's very hard for you to expect wider the wider community to understand as well. Mm-hmm. And what are you, what is what is your aim with the book? What are you hoping will happen for people reading this book? Well, for me, I think there, it's so hard when it's someone you love and you're you're sort of treading so carefully that you're you, you're co- conscious of asking the wrong question. I used to think if I say the word suicide to Josh, it might make him do it, so I won't mention that. If I say the word severe depression, that makes it real. So I won't say that word either. And all I was doing was sort of pussyfooting around the edge of really difficult topics that needed addressing. Because once you've addressed them, then actually that's how you can start to work out how you move forward, how you live with it. And so I just really hope that people like me, mums, partners, carers of anyone who they know whose mental health suffers, can just see the mistakes I made and know that actually there is a life to be lived with someone like that. And it is all about the support and having those very, very hard conversations. I think that's that's really what I hope, that it lets carers and people who, who love people depression know that it's OK not to get it right all the time, because I certainly didn't. And I think from my perspective, it's if it makes even one sufferer feel less alone, then job done. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think I honestly think it's going to help so many people. As I said at the beginning, I really think it's an amazing book and anyone who's suffering or knows anyone that is suffering should definitely buy it. Um, Even as someone who suffers myself, I feel like it really opened my eyes up as a parent. My eldest is like a really anxious child and I have the fear that he's going to be me and he's going to have the same brain as me and he might not necessarily he might just be a bit anxious and it might not turn into depression but I have a firm belief that if it's something that I am on top of now as a child that hopefully I'll give him the tools to be able to control that but I think we live in a time where people like you and and I and, and so many other people are talking about it and we are trying to understand it. And that's what's going to help. Whereas, Josh, when you were sick, it wasn't really. And Amanda, I don't think you can feel bad about that because I think from your generation as well, it just wasn't, it wasn't an illness. It wasn't something that was it spoken was shameful. about. Yeah. And I, yeah. And I think we know that now. And now we know it needs to be spoken about and people need to be helped. So... Thank you so much. I'm definitely going to carry on reading it. I honestly think it's great. You know I love you anyway, Amanda, and it's so nice to finally talk to you, Josh, after hearing about, you know, I really felt for your mum at the time and I really felt for you and I'd never even met you and I would only understand a smidgen of what you were going through and just that dynamic between the two of you must have been really difficult. So I think congrats to you both for being able to push through that and get to the point that you're at now and just know that you're going to help so many people. So thank you. Thank, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. Do you know what, Frankie? 
and you, you will you'll never know actually frankie what it's like to have that that worry in my head and that heavy heart mm-hmm. and for you to just say look here's my number this is what works for me this is what helps and if you need to talk to someone call me you've no idea what that was like that was that was a helping hand in the darkness that i was and always will be extremely grateful for oh thank you i'm glad i could help just a tiny bit so good luck guys and um yeah i think i'll be looking out for the rest of your journey and good luck with everything and thank you so much for talking to me thank you darling Now remember, this podcast is all about encouraging us to be open and have those hard but important conversations. If you're struggling with your mental health, the best thing you can do is to talk to someone. If you'd rather chat to someone impartial, there are plenty of resources and support provided by the mental health charity Mind. That's mind.org.uk. So that's all from me for now. Until next time, so look after yourself. yourself.